A fun family vacation turned into one family's worst nightmare when their beloved daughter Amy disappeared just off the coast of Curacao. A private investigator promised to help. Tips poured in. And as they chased down leads and sought justice from the cruise line, the family never gave up hope that they would one day find her. This week's episode is The Disappearance of Amy Bradley, Part 2. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well, this has inspired a thread in our Patreon Facebook group discussing how people don't really want to go on cruises anymore after learning some fun facts about the cruise lines that we exposed in the last episode. Tommy, too. Because, of course, Tommy listens when he edits. And he said, man, I I had had very little desire to go already. And now... Not in a chance in hell. Like, yeah, it's fucking loose out there. Nobody yeah. wants to claim any type of crime because it's open water. Nobody wants the, it in their jurisdiction to have to deal with it. And so, so many things that happen out there just fall through the cracks. And this seems to be one of them, this tragic case. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I mean. There are people that are crews are like, it's kind of like Disney people that are like, yeah. we go every yeah. year. We're like cruisers. I joined a cruise fans like facebook page just because i was like what is this really and it is people will be like oh we've cruised this ship so many times and this other one so many times and we're really loyal to this one because we like this bar and our family always does this thing it becomes kind of like this you know familial tradition or something Mm -hmm. like that which is fine i just am glad to see that uh, several you know members of congress have said that's great everybody should be able to enjoy something but it should be regulated and you as a consumer deserve to have information about what you're going on which as we will talk about and so what do we think even in a benign instance does not get reported and does not get uh held to the standards that even the laws have said that they should be held to so it's uh it's an industry that's i didn't realize was so new you know from the 60s like we said in the last episode and it much like the airline industry which we see still isn't perfect fucking doors just shooting off in the middle of the sky dude the the coincidences that had to occur for no one to have been injured in that the people that were supposed to be sitting there missed the flight yes it's it's man but still even though they hadn't fully ascended you're still thousands of feet up in the air and you have to now like maintain your composure to land even if you're sitting in the row behind where the panel blew off you're looking out at just the fucking open air much like Mm -hmm. the open ocean like if you fall out sayonara i mean that's yeah it's you're done so it's like it's riding terrifying. in a jeep but like ten thousand feet in the air yeah. or twenty thousand yeah, yeah, feet yeah, yeah, however yeah. high up they were and the guy i think it was a younger guy a, a row behind or a row front his shirt got sucked off the headrest got sucked <gasps> off stuff like that off where, his body 
Yeah, and it's this it's this Boeing 737 MAX. It's the one that Southwest had issues with, and so they grounded them all. But you see kind of what happens when we loosen regulations. Yeah. And thank God those people missed their flight. Um, and I'm, yeah, man. You know, maybe I come from I, my prior uh, career as an investment advisor, which was a heavily regulated industry, only in the wake of Bernie Madoff, where oftentimes yeah. you see laws don't get passed. I remember starting in the investment industry in 2011, which was, you know, 2008, kind of Bernie Madoff was in there and learning all the regulations. And I'm like, you didn't have any of this Mm -hmm. before I got here. And they're like, nah, you can do whatever you wanted. It was great. And it's, it's like that kind of with any major, extremely profitable industry, airlines, cruise ships, stock market, you know, securities, where until something horrible happens, and in this, you know, the cruise line industry, in the case of that was several, the International Cruise Victims Association, so many repeated horrible incidences mm-hmm. happen that you have a push where like, we got to get this shit under control. We've been having a lot of stranger danger conversations with Ella lately. And one of those conversations involved the case of Adam Walsh. And mm-hmm. before everyone thinks I'm a monster <laughs> bringing up this case to my six-year-old, I want to point out he was six when wow. he was taken. And we did not go into details. It kind of um, organically came up because they're bringing back America's Most Wanted. Yes, that's right. Which Amy's case was featured on and – hundreds of tips came in after that. I mean, it's a very, it's a show that really does a lot of good, but that's why he started it was because yeah. his son was kidnapped and killed. And we were watching something and the commercial for that came on and it kind of organically came up. And without going into a ton of detail, we just explained he was in a department store. His mom had gone shopping and Tommy said, you know, back then it wasn't unusual for parents to leave their kids in, you know, the toys section. He was like, yeah, I would be in wrong. the book section and just read books while my mom went shopping. Like, and same with Amber Hagerman. Like, yeah. Sometimes these horrible, heinous things have to happen for everyone to realize, oh, we should have had a law that prevented that. Right. And much like this, like until something uh, enough of it happens to enough people, nothing really gets changed. And unfortunately, some people are, you know, the reasons for that change. And then hopefully later everyone else can benefit from it. But this is one of those cases where things just weren't the same on a cruise Mm -mm. ship in 98 as they are now. I've read that the railings were lower back then. Yes, They did not have cameras all over the ship like they do now. I mean, Mm -mm. it was just a much, Zero man overboard detective. Yeah. Zero. It was just a much looser environment and it's one of those things much like planes where we all get on them and we just assume which is not wrong of us to do that everybody's Mm -hmm. done their due diligence that works in that industry to keep all of us safe that are passengers but we have to remember like we're all still people we're all just Mm -hmm. humans and no one's you know like a god that is going to prevent something from happening so Take everything with, you know, some precaution just because you're like, well, Royal Caribbean's been around for decades. Surely they're a reputable cruise line. Maybe they are. I'm not trying to get sued by Royal Caribbean. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, 
I watched an interview where Iva Bradley described it as a floating city because there were 2000 people on that ship. And when you think of, I mean, there are towns in Texas that don't have 2000 people in them. The new ships they have divided into neighborhoods because they are so enormous that you will get almost like disoriented where you're at. Yeah. The icon of the sea, stuff like this, they are building them bigger, taller, more amenities, giant, giant, giant. And what you realize with any industry, and it's when you have a fiduciary duty to your shareholders to make money, you do the bare minimum that you have to do with regards to safety, reputation, whatever, and also risk mitigation. So I don't think you can get sued by Royal Caribbean or Carnival or Norwegian or whatever, because it is well documented the incidents Mm -hmm. that they've had, incidents where they have instructed employees to lie on the stand to cover up things, whether it is incidents with passengers or because they're dumping oil in the middle of the ocean or whatever, and and they're lying to the, the federal government when they're getting busted for that. So it's just... They're not particularly evil. It's just sort of any giant corporation yeah. that, that seeks to make money is looking out. Surly only looks out for Surly. Like Royal Caribbean's <laughs> looking out for Royal Caribbean. So yeah. it's not Boeing not looks out villain. for Boeing. American yeah. Airlines looks out for Amer- I mean, how it's can like we do any this HR department? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like they're not working for you. And that's no. the thing with these cruise ships is if shit goes down on them and you go to the people on the cruise ship to try and help you, well, their number one priority is to protect their own ass yes, and then help you. Yes. But if protecting their own ass means covering some stuff up, yeah. maybe not doing the search as well as they could have, whatever it might be, your interest really isn't their first priority. So mm-hmm. you're fighting this battle like all by yourself on this floating city and then in foreign countries. Yeah. And like you said, it's a, f- a floating city. And Christopher Christopher Guerin wrote a book called Devils on the Deep Blue Sea. And it was kind of this history of the cruise lines. And he said, the thing you have in every small town in the whole country, which you will never see on a cruise ship, is police, which is an impartial third party whose job should be, you know, to investigate crimes with no financial conflict of interest. But in this case, they work for the company. So yeah. we'll all bear that in mind as we hear how... It was investigated. I wonder if they have undercover cops on the ship and no, you people have just to t- don't know. Well, I mean, no, there, there's a whole deal with um, the state of California for a while in the early 2000s said, if you, if you leave from our ports in California, you have to let like a sea marshal, which would be like an air marshal on board. But then what happens is this issue of kind of jurisdiction and also the cruise ships just go, oh, okay, we won't leave from those ports anymore because yeah. no – like, they don't want that. And and not to say that they're all absolutely covering something up, but when the heads of security have later gone on to testify on victims' behalf and said, listen, anytime this happened, my job was to offer them an upgrade, offer them yeah. entertainment, offer them excursions, shut them up and make them happy so that they don't call the FBI and they don't sue us, you kind of go, of course they don't want a cop on board. <laughs> Like when your mother-in-law got a free lifetime pass yes. for cruises, and lifetime. now they won't even honor it. No, <laughs> and it she is. Was it's on just like a deterrent. It's like, look over here. Look at this mm-hmm. flashy thing I'm shining at you. So, you know, you appease people. It's a Band-Aid. And then turns out that Band-Aid is worthless. It's worthless. But you know what? If you were on that, Ala- uh, that Alaska Airlines flight where your door sucked off, they gave $1,500 vouchers to everybody. So Well, <laughs> if nice. my shirt gets sucked off my body and out a plane while I am on it, I don't think $1,500 is going to cover the amount of therapy I need to recover from that. Not at all. And, you know, like we said, with regulations, they go, oh, well, you know, the cockpit black box recorder, it got recorded over. 
Well, why? Well, because you guys said we only had to keep it for two hours. Well, it's like, well, now we have to change the regulation and say, Mm -hmm. if there's an incident, you actually have to keep it for 24 hours. But you just see every single time. It's always, well, they said we only had to keep it for two hours, so delete it. It really does make you realize everybody's just figuring shit out as they go. Nobody knows what's going on. It's all fake. (laughs) Everything's fake. It's all fake. No one knows anything. Everything's just trial and error. I mean, I think we give so much credence to big corporations like airlines, cruise ships, hospitals, whatever, because they are these huge corporations. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're all run by people that don't know what the fuck they're doing half the time. It's fallible humans making decisions Mm -hmm. in every single case. Yeah. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Less than a month after Amy Bradley went missing from the Rhapsody of the Seas cruise ship, hours before it docked at the Dutch island Curacao, her father Ron and her brother Brad returned to Curacao to pass out flyers with Amy's picture and information. While there, a local taxi driver approached Ron and Brad, telling them that he saw Amy on the day she disappeared. The driver claimed that shortly after the ship docked in Curacao, a woman matching Amy's description ran up to his window and asked where the telephone was. Amy's green eyes stood out to the driver, who pointed her in the direction of a phone. Ron told interviewers for the Max series Disappeared that the driver told him, I want you to know that your daughter did not fall from that ship. She's here on the island, and I hope you can find her. The driver then suggested three locations on the island where the men should search, one of them being a resort on the south coast of the island. Sadly, the resort, as well as the other two suggestions, only led to dead ends for Ron and Brad. Which you can't blame them because you're back in Virginia, sort of sick to your stomach with oh, worry yeah. and just like, fuck it, I'm going back. I'm going back to the island. I'm oh, just going to beat, beat the bush, pound the pavement. I mean, Beth Holloway moved to Aruba yeah. when Natalie went missing, which is what I would do too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, and unfortunately, because of like, um, laws and uh green cards and whatnot like you have to fly back every now and then to like Mm -hmm. reset everything but to be dealing with the worst thing any parent could deal with or brother from a different country i mean you already feel helpless and now you're like i'm not even anywhere near this you got to go back to the scene to see what you can find and i Just a little aside, and we're going to hear from a lot of eyewitnesses that Mm -hmm. say stuff. And I would like to say, if you see a woman or anyone in distress that runs up to your taxi and is banging on the window and wide-eyed, seems scared, asking for a phone, intervene right then. Maybe let her have a free ride. Yeah. Yeah. Let her in the taxi. Or ask, are you okay? Do you need help? I mean- With any of these that we're going to discuss, like everyone months or years later came forward. That does no one any good. Mm -mm. If, If somebody is in distress and you're and it's worthy enough for you later to remember about it and mention, then it was worthy enough when it was going on for you to say, like, is everything okay? Do you need help? I mean, don't just 
be like, oh, well, she looked like she's yeah, uh, terrified of something, but the phone's over there and drive off. Like, that's not at all helpful. No, I mean, there are some instances, especially in this case, where uh, apparently it's not like she was being pursued by someone with a gun or a knife. You know, it would have been simple to intervene other than yeah. like, well, you know, I don't want to hassle with it. It's like, it could be the difference between life and death, seriously. Mm-hmm. So some cases, but Jack Donaghy, be a patriot, lemon, call it in. You know, sometimes yeah. you got to just inter- involve authority somehow. I think it's always better to be safe than sorry. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I've called 911 so many times in my life because of that very, I'm like, well, it could be nothing, but it could be something. And mm-hmm. I'd rather have said something if it is something than to be like, oh, yikes. Yeah, I saw that girl like four months ago and she did look panicked, but I didn't really yeah. do anything at the time. Yeah, make sure they get to It's funny because we just at Simon's birthday, we're talking to our friend Kyle, who helped us initially put the panels in the studio. And mm-hmm. when he was doing that many years ago, my doorbell rang and there was a girl on the porch who looked kind of nervous and younger and like she had house shoes on. And, you know, we didn't just go, um sorry, get out of here. You know, Kyle walked mm-hmm. out on the porch with me. We talked to her. We said, okay, here, the, the fire station's literally like a right there. We watched her walk to the fire station. You know, you can do things that we didn't have to call the police on her or on us. You know, we just made sure she got to a safe location. And hopefully, you know, I thought, boy, I hope the people, whoever she was running from, don't come back to my house, but fuck them, come back to my house because she deserves somebody to look out for her. Mm -hmm. She, for whatever reason, chose to knock on our door and we just happened to be home at that time and stuff like that. I had completely forgotten about that until you brought that up the other day. Yeah, yeah, I believe it was cold out too because we were, we were like, I think you gave her some shoes even. Yeah, I did. I gave her a pair of my, like, I was like, I don't wear these. You can have these. Because she had on, like, either she had socks on or was maybe barefoot. But actually, it was like, I was like, ah, you know, I've had had these, like, like, Tom's, like, slip-on shoes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you can have them. She's like, are you sure? It's like, yeah, just be safe wherever you're going instead of going, that's not really my business. Yeah. Yeah. I think in these cases, a lot, people don't want to get involved at the time. Mm -hmm. But later, when a big news story is going on, people like to um, involve themselves for whatever reason that might be. I will also say I do have a lot of privilege because I am a lawyer, so I do have a knowledge of the system and sort of this kind of like, come at me, bro, attitude, and not everybody (laughs) has that. So to be fair, you help when you can, where you can, to the extent that you can, for sure. Also during this visit. While standing in an intersection, Brad believes he heard a voice that sounded like Amy's yell, Brad, from a passing vehicle. Believing it had come from a van, he and Ron chased after the van. When they caught up to it, however, it was only a single man in the car by himself. The men also encountered a few other witnesses who reported seeing Amy at Mondo Beach. Brad and Ron followed up at the beach, where both a lifeguard and a bathroom attendant recognized Amy from a photo. They each confirmed she had been at the beach alone within recent weeks, but had no further information to share. And instances like this, you can't blame the family for running down leads, contacting America's Most Wanted. I think sometimes, again, on the internet, people go, well, obviously she fell aboard. Who cares? But that's ridiculous because if you have someone face-to-face going, no, I saw her within weeks, that's huge to that family. And it's very hard to come to grips with the fact that maybe she did fall overboard and we're not going to see her again, but perhaps she is still alive and there's still, that gives us some hope Mm -hmm. with not much to go on. Ron and Brad made the decision to leave the Island and head back home 
On their way to the airport, they received a panicked call from Iva back in Virginia. She had received a call that no parent wants. Investigators in Curacao had found a body washed ashore and believed it belonged to a female with brown hair. Tests were conducted while the Bradleys waited in excruciating emotional agony. When the island authorities called back weeks later, Ron and Iva were relieved that it was not Amy, as the body had been identified as a man from the pelvic girdle and part of the spine. Though they were left with hope, the Bradleys remained at square one. And this was also kind of, it was after Natalie Holloway had gone missing, but I remember this happening in the news and people thinking, oh, this might be from Natalie Holloway as well. Like, uh, you know, bones washed ashore and whatnot. It wasn't obviously, which again, then makes me think, so it wasn't the two that we were looking for. It was just a man that had also gone yeah. missing there was or the- met some kind of untimely fate to the ocean. This one was recent, and then there was, I think the jawbone was with, with Natalie Holloway, but you're right, there's these, like, instances where they keep, they have such an amount of missing persons or now finding this, it's it makes you wonder, who was that, you know? Yeah. And how did they meet that fate? And how many others are out there, too? Right. Sinisterhood will be right back. Amy's case was featured on America's Most Wanted in April of 1998, and again in December of 1998. Chris Fenwick, the videographer who had provided a copy of the footage with Amy to Ron's boss, saw the episode air, though none of Fenwick's footage had been used. The Bradleys asked the FBI about the omission. Agents told the family that the tape had not been seen since the ship. Fenwick provided another copy to the Bradleys and also uploaded a copy online. And this is another instance where Chris Fenwick's like, I handed it to Ron's boss. Ron's boss handed it to ship security who said the FBI will get this and they never did. So, I mean, last person that has it, it seems like it's your responsibility. If, if it's, if it didn't get to the FBI, what's the answer for that? Yeah. Why? Was it an accident or was it a, they don't really need this. And in which Mm -hmm. case are you now impeding a federal investigation whether purposefully and knowingly or just through your own disorganization and negligence, given they made those comments to their own videographer, scrub her from everything, it, it's not unreasonable to think perhaps it just sort of ended up in someone's oh, desk Oh, not at all. All yeah. the pictures of her were gone from, you know, the gallery where you purchase them on the ship. And then she's just scrubbed. And that's such an insult to the Bradleys as well, because Royal Caribbean has essentially erased Amy from their vacation. It's it's yeah. like they erased her from ever having been there, which mm-hmm. is not fair. No. This is her story. It's, you know, I mean, you can't just paint the narrative that you want to paint and like literally scrub people out of something because, oh, well, we don't want that getting out because this looks really bad. Yeah, it's going to bum everyone out if they found out a person's missing. Well, her family probably would still like to see some of those photos. And, to you know, I, I, that's it's a strange thing to call Chris Fenwick, too, and say, I need those originals. Give me those originals. Yeah. Because if he didn't have those originals, he couldn't have made a copy in December of 98 and sent it to the FBI. Mm-hmm. Canadian engineer and scuba diver David Carmichael saw Amy's case on the show and called the Bradleys with a tip. He had no interest in reward money, but told the family, I've absolutely seen your daughter. FBI agent Bradley Bryant told Disappeared it was the 
Most credible tip since Amy's been missing. On the series Vanished, hosted by Beth Holloway, Natalie Holloway's mother, David explained that as he was on the beach getting his scuba equipment together about five months after Amy had gone missing, he saw a woman fitting her description walking with two men. The woman noticed that David spoke English and seemed to quicken her pace to speak to him. The two men stopped her and instead took her into a nearby bar. Feeling uneasy, David followed them inside. There, he noticed a scar on the woman's right shin and a Chinese symbol tattoo on her right ankle. He also saw a baby Tasmanian devil Looney Tunes character spinning a basketball tattooed on her right shoulder. David told Vanished, I was two feet away from her. As for his confidence that it was Amy, David said, It's not 99%. It's 100%. It was her. Law enforcement searched the area after the tip, but there was no sign of her. And it's, you know, anytime tips like this come in where the person says, I, I don't want the $50,000 reward because there's a $50,000 reward for like information that might lead to her whereabouts and then a different reward if she's actually found. And to say, please, I don't want any money. I just, this is a thing that happened and you need to know about it. And the very specific Tasmanian spin in the basketball tattoo in that spot, you don't forget that. That's a strange thing. This is again, I have the question. If you felt so uneasy that you followed this woman that the, and the two men she was with into a bar and sat close to her, why didn't you intervene and say something? Yeah. Why didn't you walk up and say, hey, is everything okay here? Um, do you need any help? I mean, all of these people are like, yeah, it was really weird. It seemed really, uh, you know, like she was scared. And, and Well, then say something. Again, it's not helpful to call the family months later. I mean- they go and search. It's a tip, sure, but that's just more money, resources, and empty hope that this family is then given because at the time, nobody said anything. Nobody contacted yeah. the authorities when it would have actually mattered. Some of the bad news that even if you were to call the tip in, in my re the review of the 2022 trafficking in persons report for the the curacao itself the government had almost no interest in stopping sex work i mean sex work was legal well, it's from legal like over there 1949 they had a all huge legal they had a huge brothel from 1949 to 2022 that that operated it was called uh, allegre allegre libre or something like that i mean it was like until the covid pandemic essentially shut it down it went on so even if you call and they say, she she works with us, we're, we're taking her around. You know, I mean, maybe then at least you have information on it. But it may be that you go, they're not going to do anything around here. Maybe. I just, yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I mean. It doesn't sit I, right. It doesn't sit right. And also, I think hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, again, like eyewitness accounts just aren't very credible. Like, especially when. You see something and then you read about a case and then you're like, oh, that was that person. So would you have made that connection had you not read about her case in something or seen it on the news? Who's to say? The tattoos, certainly that is something that sticks out. Again, I just think, did he remember them exactly how they were? You know, I don't know if it was her. I, I hate that 
he another person didn't intervene when they could have and possibly helped her. Right. You kind of see that over and over again here of like, huh, like you said, that was kind of strange. And, you know, that's a good the thing about America's Most Wanted is they want people like this to see it. And it triggers a memory Mm -hmm. and it goes, oh, my gosh, it was that person. But oftentimes it sounds like in this case, you know, once they go back and search afterwards, it's too late. You know, she's gone. See something, say something. Right. In August of 1999, the Bradleys received an email from a man named Frank Jones, who claimed he was an ex-Special Forces agent with contacts in Curacao. Jones, a private investigator, claimed he could bring Amy home. The Bradleys were desperate for answers and agreed. Just days after first working together, Jones confirmed to them that Amy was alive on Curacao, being held in a compound by human traffickers, surrounded by armed guards and barbed wire. Jones told the Bradleys he needed $24,000 to begin his operation of extracting Amy from the compound. According to Jones, this money would be used to pay travel expenses and to hire a team of men to bring Amy back. On Rod and Iva's dime, Jones headed to Curacao to rescue their daughter. However, the expenses continued to add up, and Jones repeatedly asked the Bradleys for more money. Suspicious. They asked for some type of proof of their daughter's presence on the island. If I get an email from someone saying they can definitely help me and they seem credible and then they come back with information again, it's like all you want is your daughter to be alive. So mm-hmm. I there's I fault the Bradleys zero in any of these things because they're grieving. They're just yeah. all their whole world has been shattered. All you want is your your daughter, your sister back. Unfortunately, for others, that's prime pickings for let's prey on the vulnerable. Yeah, and you say you know all they want is an answer. And if someone comes up and says, "I'm so good at this. I'm special forces. I can hunt anybody down. I'll have an answer for you within a week." And then a week later, they go, "She's being held by Colombian mm-hmm. drug traffickers, and they also traffic in humans." And here's they had a he had a woman named Jud- Judith Margarita who said that she, you know, get her on the phone and tell Iva, I've seen her there. Yes, she's there. And he's like, see, I have a witness. I mean, it was for them to say, you know, let us see a little bit of proof. They had a little bit here and there, but he was very convincing that he was, this was it. This was the solution. She's there. She's alive. We got her. And it's only, you know, a year and a half later. So you have hope like, oh, good. We can get her out before she's too horribly traumatized and damaged by all this. It also tracks with what the Bradleys believe happened to Mm -hmm. her. So you're like, this is what we thought. So, you know, it it, it makes sense. Yeah. Jones sent back images of a blonde man on the beach alongside a woman in a hat and bathing suit. According to Iva, the woman had Amy's exact tattoos and stood like Amy. She was built like Amy. And so we thought it was Amy. Convinced by the photos, the Bradleys tried sourcing the $100,000 needed to pay Jones. A former employer was willing to front the couple, but only if Jones could be verified as legitimate. The employer sent a trusted associate, former Special Forces agent Tim Buckholtz, to Curacao to check things out. Uh, Let me just say, having seen interviews with Tim Buckholtz, I would send him on my behalf to check things out, too. That dude looks like he gets to the bottom of shit. When you think special forces agent, Tim Buckholtz is the picture in my head that comes to mind. Just Mustache, like Mustache, goatee yeah, kind of thing. Long kind of hair, long grizzled. hair. Like, you're like, he has seen some shit. Big, 
You're like, he could just crush a man's skull with one yeah. hand. With his bicep in between. Probably rides a motorcycle, sleeveless shirt. Oh, for sure. Like that's the type of guy that's like, I'll go find out what the real story is. And you're mm-hmm. like, thank you, Tim. In October of 2000, Ron and Iva were led to believe their nightmare would soon be ending. Jones told the Bradleys to wait in a hotel in Miami while he and his team extracted Amy from the compound. Ron and Iva waited by the phone for a week, but they never reunited with their daughter. Instead, they received a phone call from Jones with bad news. One of his men had been shot during the mission, and they had to abort. And that's October 2000 after he initially contacted them in August 99. So that's over a year that he's been stringing them on. Yeah, and getting money from them Tons and of, just yeah. living it up on a tropi- beautiful tropical island. Yeah, drink, and while he made this phone call, drinking in a bar. Yeah, and Tim Buckholtz said he was there. He's and like, he I overheard him. him. He's like, he's talking to this family and telling them these things that just aren't true. And thank goodness there are good people that they're like, this isn't right. I got to put an end to this. Yeah, Buckholtz was like, I'm calling it in. Not on my dime. Very quickly, Tim Buckholtz determined that Jones had been lying about everything, including the botched raid. Buckholtz called the Bradleys and broke the news. It was all a scam. The photos of Amy that had been so convincing were staged, with a local tattoo shop stenciling on tattoos that matched Amy's, all in an effort to convince her desperate parents to send more money. In total, Frank extorted over $200,000 from Amy's family and donors for her search fund. Going to a tattoo shop to have stenciled on a fake model. And we'll we'll put the photos that he sent them in the notes. Mm-hmm. Before I realized that this was a scam, I was like, oh, holy shit, that's her. I mean, it looks like her slender build, but the tattoo specifically in the, in the exact spots and the photo, she just so happens to be kind of standing in a way. You know, she's got a hat on, so you really can't see her face very well. And but kind she's of standing- a sarong thrown yes. over the other shoulder. Yeah, but you can see that tattoo on that shoulder. You mm-hmm. see the tattoo on the ankle. And it was like... You did it to dupe them. I mean, it was yeah. very purposely done. Yeah. it's There's a special place in hell for people that are willing to go to these links for money. Yeah. The Bradleys reported Jones to the FBI. When Jones returned to Virginia from Curacao, he was arrested at the airport. Jones pleaded guilty to wire fraud and mail fraud. He was sentenced to five years in prison in order to repay the extorted funds to the Bradleys. The money, however, was the last thing on the grieving family's mind. Waiting in that Miami hotel room, Ron and Iva had been so hopeful that they were about to be reunited with their daughter. To learn had it all been a scam was unfathomable. Through tears, Iva told disappeared. I'll never understand in a million years. He's a father. How in the world do you tell parents that you know where their child is and you're going to go get her and it all be a lie? I think we all have that question, Iva. It is unfathomable to say the least. It's and what's the what's the end game? I mean, I guess you say, well, we couldn't do it because you know it was just too dangerous. And then you hope that you've just gotten away with two hundred thousand dollars to target people that are at their most vulnerable and extort money from them like this. Five years, not enough, in my opinion. No, and I think that's why he took the plea. I believe the judge gave him the absolute maximum that he could give under these charges, under the circumstances, because it was so egregious. And mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, I'm going to go in and get a tip and take 
you know, $50,000, you have opened a vein and you are draining this family as with hope, you know, it's like pumping them full of hope, draining them of money, pumping them full of hope, draining them of money. And you can, if it weren't for Tim Buckholtz, like how long would this have gone on of, Mm -hmm. okay, well, we, you know, they took her off of Curacao. So like after that botched raid and my guy got shot, they actually took her to, where do I want to go next on vacation? Mm -hmm. The Bahamas. You know what? They took her to the Bahamas. So I'm going to need to stay there for six months. You know, eventually I'm sure the Bradleys would have gone, you know what? You're not giving us any answers. But he was extremely convincing and went to great lengths to really to make him seem like they should keep funding this because when you're you want your kid back, you're like, no amount of money is too much. Oh, absolutely. And I just said it wasn't just the obvious disappointment and the money, but it was also that he took time away from the investigation where mm-hmm. they could have been looking in other avenues and people that actually had tips, credible tips could have been helping. So, you know, if you've, you've spent a year following down, just chasing down some scam Shadow. artist leads. Yeah. yeah. When really you could have been using that time and time is something you never get back. So to see Iva in that disappeared episode, I mean, <sighs> it's crushing. Yeah. Oh my God. The, the raw grief that I think really is, reserved for parents losing their children in mm-hmm. situations like this, no matter how old the, the kid is, it's just, it's part of you is gone and part mm-hmm. of you is missing. And you, all you want is to get it back and you feel so helpless. And then some fucking snake like this comes along and not only gives you all this hope, yes. but also drains you financially. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's just the rage that I oh. would feel. Right. Like you said, five years is not too much. Watch your back, Frank Jones. But for real, you as parents, they lost her twice because that feeling yeah. of waking up at 6 a.m. going, Amy's not here and you're running, running, running. Well, you know, August of 99, you get told she's alive. She's going through really bad stuff right now, which makes you sick and sad and hurt in a different way. But then to then realize like all of that was all made up, by the way, you mm-hmm. never had her back to even lose her again. But that perception, that feeling, that lie that he, you know, them sitting in that hotel room in Miami, that was so real. She was alive for them then. And that's, yeah. it's it's just a sick, the depths that people will go to, truly. It really, it really truly is. A retired naval officer came forward in 2002 with a tip that once again reignited the family's belief that Amy had been kidnapped and forced into sex work. While stationed in Curacao in 1999, the officer said he had been a customer at a local brothel. A white woman with brown hair had approached the uniformed man saying, My name is Amy Bradley and I need help. He asked what she needed and she explained, I need help and I can't get out. Seconds later, the woman was beckoned from the sailor by someone else at the bar and walked away. Worried he may get in trouble for patronizing a brothel, the naval officer said nothing until years later when he was out of the service. By then, the brothel had burned down. Ron told Vanish, Seen that a lot of places on Curacao get burned down for whatever reason. Well, if you need to destroy a lot of evidence, it's one good way to do it. A very easy way to do it. And yeah, on the one hand, I get it. You're an officer. But on the other hand, the... You're uh, an officer. You took an oath to serve and protect. So if you want to go get your jollies in a brothel, okay. But at the same time... That doesn't mean you get to like leave your your fucking morals uh, yeah. credentials at the door. You know, yeah. I mean, if somebody comes up to you 
and says they need help, whether you know the case or not, a woman has approached you in a brothel saying, I need help. I need to get out. Yes. Okay. Then fucking help her. Yes. And you may say, oh, well, I'm going to get discharged from the Navy. Okay. You're also a hero who saved someone's life. Like, I think that will make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, some folks have said, you know, why did he wait so long? But I mean, it's just to save his own ass. And he apparently testified before the grand jury, I think in the Frank Jones case, you know, because they were going through like, where where is she really basically proving that Frank Jones was a fraud. So to me, this is extremely credible that you have a lot to lose as a retired naval officer, you're going to say under oath in a federal courtroom, someone said, my name is Amy Bradley, and I need help. That's pretty, that's pretty credible. Maybe. I'll save it for so what do we think? <laughs> well, I mean, and, uh, I would like to think it's credible, but I also, uh, what's outweighing the uh, credibility of his comment is the fact that I think if this had really happened, he would have said something at the time. Like, I, I just can't imagine that he would have waited. But also, I think it's possible that somebody did come up to him and say, my name is Amy Bradley and I need help. At this point, her story is well known, especially on Carousel. But yeah, 99, so yeah. People are going to know that live there, like the case and everything. If you are a woman that does need help in a brothel and you see a uniformed officer, I would also approach him thinking he could help me and perhaps use information that I thought would help me get out. That's true. That, that it's just uh, people save their own ass. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm not going to get in trouble. I don't want to get involved. And so he's going to save his own ass and just not say anything until it is safe. And until the FBI goes, you know, you came forward with a tip. You're going to need to swear under oath that what you heard and what you saw. Sinisterhood will be right back. In 2005, a photo surfaced online of a sex worker on a Caribbean escort website the woman's name was supposedly Jazz, but Amy's family believed the woman in the photos was Amy. All photos of the woman were angled in a way that Amy's tattoos would not show. Jazz had longer hair than Amy and appeared much more made up and older than Amy, but the woman's facial features appeared to the Bradleys as a match for Amy. The family sent the photo to a local forensic detective who now works for the FBI. The detective compared her facial structure, hairline, and ear shape. His conclusion was that the photo was an exact match to Amy. The expert even told the Bradleys, I would bet my career that this is Amy. And that's what Iva called it a like a harsh and tormented Amy. And definitely the hair is much longer. She looks older makeup on. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was like an all inclusive erotic vacations for like twenty seven hundred dollars. And it's it's sad to see that. I mean, it is a place where it's legal, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is positive for the, no, those that, that the people that are in. women yeah. are doing that are wanting to do it of their own free will. And even yeah. maybe some that are like, what are their circumstances? that That's what they have to do to support themselves. I do think that, you know, the pictures have a lot of similarities. It does obviously look like. She's either wearing a wig or her hair's grown out and they've done it up or whatever. To just receive an email like this out of the blue and again, like just stomach drop because yeah. you, you're glad you're like, oh, okay, so I think she's alive. This looks like her. But then at the same time, 
imagine what she's going through if this is yeah. her. Yes, because she's not smiling, happy in the photos. No. It's sort of a, a sad kind of vacant look on her face. And the forensic detective, you know, took the different parts and mapped like where it would match. And your ears are you know close to fingerprints and said, look, this shape of this ear matches the shape of this ear here. So he would bet his career on it. It's just it's makes you sick to your stomach to think. It, it's like on the one hand you want it to be her because it means that she's alive but on the mm-hmm. other if it is her oh my god yeah the in abuse. 2005 she's been yeah. at, what has she been subjected to for seven solid years yeah yeah a woman named judy mauer was vacationing in barbados in 2005 when she had a suspicious run-in with a woman who looked like jazz in a mall bathroom two men entered with a woman in her early 30s Judy was in the stall and hit her feet so as not to be noticed. One of the men said to the woman, The deal is at 11 o'clock and you better be ready to go. I'm warning you, this is my deal and you better not mess it up. The men left the restroom and Judy emerged from the stall to approach the woman. Judy asked, Where are you from? In a soft voice, the woman replied, Virginia. When Judy asked her name, the woman said, Amy. Prompting Judy to respond excitedly, My daughter's name is Amy. Judy's volume seemed to alarm the woman, who looked toward the door with a frightened expression. The men began pounding on the door until it opened. Then they left with the woman. Fucking Judy. What is your problem? You know that this is like not a good situation. And your reaction is, well, that's my daughter's name. What a coincidence. Like, shut it. That's not the move, Judy. No, the next move is what can I do for you? How? Where are you going? How can I help you? Yeah. Gosh, that I mean, it is uh, from her perspective. She's outnumbered. If there's two guys dragging this girl around, what she'd be like, I'll fight you two gentlemen. They're going to punch Judy in the face and leave her in a stall. So, you know, when you hear men enter the women's room, you're putting your feet up. I would have done the same thing. Like, holy shit. But you're right. When the person is expressing to you, we all can learn lessons from the interactions that all of these people had with whomever they had the interactions with. And that is to maybe let them take the lead a little bit and say like, what can I do to help you? How can I, Mm -hmm. what can I do? Where are they going to take you? What's happening at 11 o'clock? Because I believe her and her husband just left them all after that. Yeah. So what again, again, the, how is this helpful? How is this helpful Judy to say all of this months after like this, uh, alleged sighting happened? Like it's just, uh, again, I feel like, these things give the family so much hope, like little breadcrumbs being trailed along, but they inevitably lead nowhere because it's they're reported entirely too late. Yeah. A few months later, the photos of Jazz from the escort website had been made public. Judy saw them and instantly recognized the young lady from the bathroom in Barbados. She told Beth Holloway on Vanished. I'm looking at this picture and I'm going, oh, my God, that girl looks so familiar. I think that's the girl I saw in Barbados. And when I read it, I realized her name was Amy. Judy contacted the Bradleys, who passed along the tip to the FBI. Judy was able to work with sketch artists to create a composite of Amy and her abductors. Which led to nowhere unfortunately yeah i mean it looks like jazz the the sketch sort of looks like jazz and then the abductors just sort of look like average 
mm-hmm. bad guys you would see, almost bad guys you'd see in a movie kind of thing, kind of gruff bodyguard looking meaty dudes. So it did not help bring anybody in. On March 24th, 1999, exactly one year to the day that Amy went missing, her parents filed two civil lawsuits in Miami, Florida against Royal Caribbean Cruise Line seeking unspecified damages. The first suit alleged negligence in the company's failure to search for Amy on board the ship. Her family alleged that this failure led to Amy being abducted, hidden, and forcibly removed from the ship. On March 28th, once Rhapsody of the Seas docked in Puerto Rico, the Bradleys alleged that their daughter was shoved into a waiting taxi at the terminal. The second lawsuit was for Amy's wrongful death. They also alleged intentional infliction of emotional distress by Royal Caribbean and claimed that the cruise line had defamed both Ron and Brad. So this is a little bizarre that they filed both of these lawsuits that seem to kind of contradict one. On one hand, they're saying, um, you know, she wrongful death, but on the other that she is still kind of alive somewhere and was kidnapped and has been forced into a uh, trafficking situation. Yeah, what the only do you thing, make of that? The only thing I can think of is that because so when you this was a, a big issue at the congressional hearings before they passed that 2010 law that when you buy at least back then and still to this day it's a contract of adhesion when you buy a cruise ticket so you get a cruise ticket and then it says here's all the ways you can sue us which is very very limited this is how long you have to sue us which is very limited this is where you can sue us which is federal court in Miami most of the time very limited and you are agreeing that although under statute that you have two years to bring this case, you're agreeing that by buying this cruise ticket, you only have a year. You actually only have one year to bring this. And my only thought was that it's exactly a year to the day that Amy went missing. They ha- they were running out of time and they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and going, well, yeah. we'll go ahead and file this one. And if this goes through, we'll go ahead and file this one. If this goes through, I, d- I don't know that they... It could prove her death that, you know, there's no body. That's really hard. I think pretty much either way they were, they were between a rock and a hard place. Cause if you yeah. say your negligence led her to being trafficked, prove it. Well, your negligence led her to dying. Prove it. We can't mm-hmm. prove either of them. There's a little bit of evidence for the trafficking. There's a little bit of evidence for the death, but there's not, you know, what is a preponderance, you know, whatever the, the standard of, proof that they would have in these cases for either so it may have been the only thing i could uh, surmise would be a litigation tactic of we're fixing to run out of time so we better just go ahead and file them both shoot your shot let's hope some like you said just throwing whatever you can to see if something sticks before your time runs out the time Mm -hmm. that you agreed to but but you probably didn't know you agreed to it and that's what the senators and stuff at these hearings would go um excuse me sir you're from the the cruise line whatever association he's like this is a a point four font Do Mm. you expect anybody to be able to read this? And the guy's like, well, you know, we have to be able to print it. And the the senator was like, yeah, you're full of shit. I mean, he didn't say that, but he was like, come on. Like, this is the tiniest, tiniest font. So to assume, oh, well, the consumer had full, they had a a reasonable time to know that they weren't allowed to sue us beyond the, you know, one year, which is a shortened statute of limitation that they agreed to. It's like, dude, they, you buy your cruise ticket online. You're not like, yeah. and let me explore my rights before I do that no. and agree to go on. Like, no, you're just like, sweet. I want to go to Puerto Rico. How many times have I just hit blindly, yes. like, accept, 
like confirm. I agree to these terms and conditions. I did it last night, like without yeah. having read all of it. So, yeah. I mean, that's pretty common practice, especially if it's in the tiniest font that you got to get a magnifying glass out to read yeah. it. Like, I, I think it's um, ridiculous that they would think that like, oh, well, we've covered all of our bases and given the consumer all the information they need to be well informed of their rights. Like, maybe, but like, realistically, come on. No, and it's like, we always say in America of like, weird land of everybody having rights. And it's like, not really. Because if someone has more money than you, which would be a cruise ship, more power than you, this cruise line, they can essentially force you to give your right up because you have to trade it in exchange for the ability to go on the ship, which means you've now traded what you can recover for, you know, damages you can recover for, how long you can sue for and things like that. It's like when you go to a baseball game, when I worked at the speedboat company, going on a speedboat, things like that where you go, well, if we didn't have it, everybody would sue all the time and yada yada. So we, if you ever want to get real pissed off, dive into like mandatory arbitration agreements, like Almost all of us in the United States and all of our interactions with large companies like AT&T, your phone service, your internet service, you've agreed to like massive arbitration. Uh, Like you can't, you basically can't sue them. It becomes, to me, we have been forced to forfeit what should be our right to confront an, an entity, a person, whatever in a courthouse because they have more money than us and more bargaining yeah. power from us. So you hate to see that. And you hate to see that our representatives have gone, well, yeah, I think it's great for the phone companies and the cruise companies and everybody to do this. It's like, I bet you I'm do. Sure they, you do. They, yeah. they got you elected. Yeah. <laughs> they are the ones yeah. that got you elected with all that money. So They it, also it's have of, you over yeah. a barrel because you're yeah. like, well, I mean, I need phone service. I want to yeah. go on this vacation. So it's like, I mean, I guess I'll just agree to this. And I mean, nine times out of 10, Nothing happens. But if something does happen, then you're fucked. Yeah, when you sort of get into plaintiff's work on behalf of victims trying to sue large companies, it becomes like a basket of tangled yarn of like just all the things wrong. (laughs) And just like America, the justice system, politics, you just once you start pulling, you're like, oh, it's a huge knot under there. So contracts of adhesions are one of those. And where you say, well, you agreed when you bought the ticket, you only had a year. And so they were probably like, all right, well, we'll file what we can file on this one year. Yeah. During the litigation, the Bradleys were asked to disclose any and all reports they had gotten about Amy's whereabouts. They were asked to provide this in written questions as well as during a deposition. In both instances, they were under oath. Rather than reveal every tip they had received, the family initially revealed only three witnesses, including David Carmichael, the Canadian scuba diver. All three witnesses disclosed by the Bradleys had similar stories, that Amy was seen accompanied by two men and seemed to be under duress. This is a really nitty lawyer lesson on behalf of the defendant counsel, which is representatives from Royal Caribbean. They asked a super broad interrogatory, which is what you asked written questions in early eight days of discovery. And there, it was a very broad thing. And it, you swear at the bottom, I have fully answered that. And their answer to that interrogatory was like, here's three names or five names or whatever. We swear that's the only people we've heard from. 
but it wasn't. Yeah. And it's like, technically, you would have to go see attachment and go, here's 150 tips we got from America's Most Wanted. Here's a bunch of cuckoo people on, they didn't have Facebook back then, but, you know, on message boards, this is weird letters and postcards we received. I mean, when they word it that way, unless you go, hey, listen, we got 10,000 tips. We really can't disclose them all. Can you narrow this? But it wasn't the case. Like they had their arms around what tips they had. Mm -hmm. And they, because their lawsuit was, we're alleging that Amy was whisked away in this terminal. They provided only the witnesses that were helpful to that. Yeah. Yeah. Royal Caribbean filed a motion to dismiss, complaining that the Bradleys were committing a fraud on the court. The company alleged that the Bradleys purposefully withheld information from over 105 other witnesses who had come forward with information that Amy was alive and was not under duress. The court focused on five key witnesses who Brad and Ron had spoken with during their April 1998 trip to Curacao. In addition to the taxi driver who told them Amy walked along the pier and asked for the location of a payphone, the father and son had gotten statements from two additional men. One was named Lindo, and the other was named either Andy or Peter, both of whom claimed to have seen Amy alone, apparently on her own free will, at the island's Mambo Beach. Ron and Brad followed up on the leads by visiting the beach. There they met two additional witnesses, a lifeguard and a bathroom attendant, both of whom recognized Amy from the picture as having been alone at the beach previously. Well, I mean, I get it. I get it as a parent that you're just trying to get your kid back. You want the strongest case possible. Unfortunately, if you don't follow the rules, that gives the other side a real big window to get it thrown out. Yeah. And that's the issue would be, I mean, just say, hey, yeah, we we don't know the credibility of any of these tips. You know, yeah. somebody could have said I they mean, seen her. They're in all Italy. eyewitness accounts. They're yeah. all hearsay. Nothing can be corroborated. No, and even so, I mean, it's could you even already going to subpoena this taxi driver? I mean, maybe if you're Royal Caribbean and go, hey, we'll pay you, we'll get you a ticket to Miami to come to this deposition. I don't know, but that's the issue is just like they they thought, okay, well, this is a public filing. This is what they said, you know, it's a public filing. It's for safety. We don't want to get too much misinformation out there because this was a case that was on America's Most Wanted. It was on the cover of People Magazine, so. The filing of this lawsuit was news, so therefore answers to the deposition and interrogatories was going to be news. And I understand if you're thinking, we really got to control this public narrative of she has been trafficked. We need people to give us these trafficking tips. You wouldn't want to be like, yeah, she was partying in Barbados mm-hmm. and she was fine. You know, she didn't look like she was under distress at all. You might not want to include that. Or like you even said, it's all just, we don't know. People saw a thing on America's Most Wanted and called us and was like, it was her, but we don't know if it was or not. Mm -mm. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. Royal Caribbean also pointed to the over 100 written tips the family poured over in the weeks following the America's Most Wanted airings. Over 25 of these reports mentioned Amy's baby Taz tattoo, but none of the reports mentioned that she was under duress. Because the Bradleys only revealed witnesses who corroborated their version of events, that Amy was kidnapped under duress, and purposely concealed contradictory reports, the court found the family had perpetuated a fraud on the court and dismissed their case with prejudice. Which that is a severe punishment to be dismissed with prejudice that you cannot refile. And 
Again, mm. you've agreed by your contract of adhesion to a shortened statute of limitations. So now the real the door is also closed to ever sue them Damn. again because the time has lapsed. That's really tough. I get that you're like, this is our one shot. We got to make it as convincing as possible. At the same time, though, if you're not completely transparent, the other side is going to find it. That's their only job. So yeah. it's going to come out and then you're going to be set back even further than you were before this. Yeah, it's a multi, 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 hundreds of million dollar company. They've got plenty of resources to have a little associate that's going to go through every single tip that the FBI got that America's Most Wanted got and essentially like make a little chart and go, "You, we said any and all. You said, I swear I've given you any mm -hmm. and all. We can literally prove that you didn't. And I don't think that they did it with any kind of malice or shady no. or whatever. I think, again, they, they thought they were doing the right thing. But if it says any and all in an interrogatory, that's what they mean. Yeah, yeah. After the court's decision, Royal Caribbean's attorney, Jeffrey Maltzman, told the Miami Herald... There were at least five witnesses that the Bradleys concealed, all of whom reported they had seen Amy in Curacao under no duress shortly after she disappeared. Some identified her by a tattoo of the Tasmanian devil on her shoulder and others by photographs. The Bradleys claimed they withheld the information to protect Amy's safety. Maltzman told reporters that while the company sympathized with the family's tragedy... We're delighted with the decision and pleased to see that the judge has upheld the long-established rule that lying under oath is never acceptable, no matter the purported reasons. The family appealed the suit's dismissal, but lost that as well, closing the door on civil recovery against Royal Caribbean. I don't love Jeffrey Maltzman's statement of we're delighted. I mean, we're at the end of the day, delighted. a young woman's gone missing and her family is grieving. So, yes, you may have won this case, but maybe be a little more tactful and compassionate when speaking to reporters. Yeah, it was like, we are very sad for the family's loss, but whoa, yeah, we yeah. did it. It's like, don't, yeah. we don't need to rub it in. And it's like lying under oath. It's like you could have reframed that and said like, you know, omitting things even for yeah. emotional reasons. It's Softened like have a it. fucking heart. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, they don't. Yeah. No, he's. He's, he's, you know, he's a huge defense attorney. He's probably he's not. Yeah. <laughs> for a huge cruise line. Yes. Yeah, for, his pockets yeah. are lined. Oh, most definitely. But I, you know, he's, that's his job is to say, to disprove, you know, both of the lawsuits. So I think because they had filed this wrongful death suit and this, we think you were negligent and therefore she got trafficked. Honestly, this may have been one of the best things for them because in the responses, you know, and the motion to dismiss and, you know, all the public statements and whatnot, but the, the, what the Royal Caribbean said to the court was like, she's alive and she's fine, apparently, mm -hmm. according to all these witnesses. So I think even if they could have tried to prove that, you know, the wrongful death, get that dismissed because we have all these witnesses saying she's alive and the trafficking, get that dismissed because we have all these witnesses saying, yeah, she was hanging out at the beach. She seemed all right mm -hmm. to me. You know, she didn't seem like she was being trafficked. So it could have really turned maybe the narrative away from does anybody know anything? Because it's like, well, we already decided she probably just ran off. Royal Caribbean proved it in court. Versus yeah. this, you're like, yeah, I got dismissed. We can't really say what happened. Yeah, true, true. Amy Lynn Bradley was declared legally dead on March 24th, 2010. However, the mystery of her fate remains unsolved. The Bradleys remain steadfast in their belief that Amy was kidnapped and forced into sex work. They believe Amy left their cabin in search of coffee and was abducted by a crew member shortly thereafter. Other theories have also emerged. 
The theory that Amy had intentionally jumped from the ship to end her life was presented early on in the investigation. Quickly, though, this theory fell apart and to this day remains highly unlikely. Amy showed no signs of suicidal tendencies and, in fact, was very happy with her life. She was excited to start a new job upon returning home from the cruise, had sent pleasant postcards to friends during the vacation that mentioned when she would be back in Virginia, and had recently adopted a new puppy that she dearly loved. Yeah, the FBI seems to just go, there's no way it was suicide because... No, no, yeah. I mean, there was... And, you know, I mean, sure, anything can happen, but, like, why would she have chosen this place to carry something like that out? You know, I mean, a family vacation where her... I mean, it just made no sense. She was a happy go she showed no signs of depression or suicidal tendencies she was playing had a lot of plans for the future and had made those known it just they very quickly wanted to be like well she probably jumped you know so they can just wipe their hands of it and be done with it but Not a chance. Yeah, suicide is the best case scenario if you're Royal Caribbean Mm -hmm. because it's not, oh, well, our railings were too short. I mean, it's like she climbed over railings that were perfectly safe. She wanted to do it. Yeah, we couldn't have stopped it. Yeah. When you see like the postcards that says like, okay, I'll be back on Saturday. Like, can't Mm -hmm. wait to see you. And they said she brought like so many rolls of film because her plan was to take certain pictures and make a collage for her new apartment. She like wanted to make a collage on her coffee table or something like that. So it's like, she's it it doesn't strike somebody that's suicidal when they're like in the middle of a craft project that, you know, is... It depended on this cruise. Yeah. And had been partying and having a great time. Yeah. And yeah. While Amy most likely didn't jump off the ship of her own accord, one of the more popular theories is that she accidentally fell overboard. Rana woke to see Amy on the cabin's balcony at 5.30 a.m. and the balcony door closed. 30 minutes later, Ron said he was awoken again by something, though he doesn't know what. At that time, he discovered his daughter was no longer on the balcony and that the door was slightly open. Web sleuths have posited that sometime between 5.30 and 6 a.m., Amy may have fallen overboard. The theories for why this may have occurred range from Amy leaning over the railing to vomit, possibly due to seasickness or a night of drinking, to Amy having gone back into the cabin sometime after 5.30 to retrieve her cigarettes before going back onto the balcony to smoke. Some believe that at this time, Amy fell overboard with her cigarettes and lighter in hand. Proponents of this theory argue it is the most likely, given the timeline. Others dispel this theory, attributing Amy's strong swimming skills and lack of a body as the main reasons. Well, Occam's razor would say that she fell overboard. Well, especially given there was almost no man overboard technology then, Mm -hmm. and there's almost none now. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. now there's cameras at least, and some ships have infrared cameras. Yeah, there's, there's now the, the regulations state that to the extent the technology is available, cruise ships must implement the most cutting edge man overboard technology, which cruise lines have argued is literally just cameras and that are not monitored by people 24-7. They're just cameras that are recording. So then if, in this case, they didn't have them. But now if this were to happen, they'd go, hey, you know, we think she went missing at 536. There would be footage and they would rewind it and go, OK, yeah. And in some cases, they might even have heat sensor cameras if it's too dark or whatever and go, OK, yeah, we see something warm about this shape of a human, you know, fall into the water and we missed it or whatever, which in that case, at least you would kind of know where to go back and search. 
but it would be way too late. Oh, it would be too late. I mean, the, the oh, the man overboard technology. People, four percent of them. If you fall over a cruise ship, four percent. You have a four percent. Those chance. aren't odds that I want to take. <laughs> I would the never take um, it. the man overboard stuff, unless it's can help you right then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically just like, oh, well, we can go back and give you some closure as to what happened, but they weren't going to be saved unless you know somebody was out there and saw it happen. And even then, it's it can be difficult. And that's what there are new companies that developed technology where basically it would almost be like a sensor that if something fell over, it would immediately alert everyone, you know, like somebody just went over, literally Mm -hmm. stopped the ship immediately, turn around, go get them, whatever. But cruise lines have said it's about a half a million dollars to put that on every ship. And the cruise lines argue it, the technology is not, it's not sufficiently tested to actually work. So they're like, we shouldn't have to undertake basically outfitting our ships with all this stuff that with something that may or may not work. So they continue to tell the Coast Guard, the only thing we can do is have these cameras. Sorry, that's what we have. So all that to say is you are welcome to go on a cruise. Please be aware they do not know if you fell over aside from someone noticing in your life and then going back and looking at the videos later. Like I was under the impression like, oh, you know, back in the, like recently Disney, you got the little bracelets. They know where you are. You know, they'll track you here and there. Surely if you fell over, it would track. No, they don't know. Somebody has to see it happen. you had a chip implanted on you, I don't know how they would. I was thinking like a magic band or something. Like what if you had that where it's like, okay, if any of these bands are X, distance away from the ship while we're in motion that's like but you would have to stop the whole ship for somebody chucking one overboard but i don't know i don't know what the answer is but especially in 1998 they would have had no clue Mm -mm, no and people say oh well you somebody would have heard something they would have heard a scream or how does buck on those would they I mean, you you get knocked unconscious on the way down. They're also, it's five thirty in the morning. It's dark. She, you know, it's on the side of the ship. What's the odds that somebody's going to be looking at that exact spot to see something like that happen? No, that's a good point. And I've been watching a lot of the uh, Royal Caribbean nine month cruisers that are on there oh, on yeah. the cruise around the world or whatever. And just them in their rooms, it's la- first of all not every window opens, and you know mm-hmm. all the especially the people down lower or whatever. God, the ones that were going through the Drake's Passage and near Antarctica, it looked made me want to throw up but because you're like water coming over your window like that yeah oh huge waves huge i mean they some of them were 16 footers like it's Mm -hmm. crazy but i mean of course the cruise ship's a lot taller than that but anyhow your windows don't open like not all of them do even the Mm -hmm. ones that do do you just you sleep with the window open even so it's the sound of a huge ship it's not like it's dead silent on the ocean you've got the giant engines of the ship moving the electricity, the hum, the buzz, you know, everything. It would be, even if you did hear a scream, you might go, was that a seagull? Yeah. Yeah. Or shit splashing around in the ocean all the time. There's waves and You stuff. would not like, hear a splash. No, unless you were still. No. I don't think you'd hear a splash because the... Yeah. Plus, you yeah. think about it, as a ship is going, if someone jumps off and the ship is going to continue going, you know, that's mm-hmm. any screams like that, you're not going to... It's going to be gone. They're going no. pretty, a pretty heavy, it's pretty steady not to try to get to port, you know, right on time or whatever. And so they're not, it's not silent out there. And I think there's uh, a good chance when people fall overboard that they're unconscious before they even hit the water. They hit something on the way down that knocks them out. So, and even if you don't and you hit the water and she's a strong swimmer, 
I feel like that goes out the window given the circumstances. You could be shocking, Michael Phelps, and if you fall off a cruise ship after a night of drinking and you're exhausted and potentially still drunk in the middle of the dark open ocean, your chances for survival are very low. Yeah, the two recent stories I saw where people were rescued, it was like their friends watched them do it Mm -hmm. or someone, you know, witnesses were like, oh, shit, that guy just fell. And it was in the daylight. And so, you know, you kind of go, you may be in shock. And if ever, if the ship stops and they're like, don't move, we're coming to get you, stuff like that. But yeah, the darkness, that is. No, it's terrifying, too. It's terrifying. Like the Bradleys, many believe Amy met her fate at the hands of one of the Rhapsody of the Seas crew, possibly a band member or a waiter. Eyewitness accounts place bass player Alistair Douglas and Amy together on the ship around 6 a.m. Douglas told authorities the last time he saw Amy that night was at 1 a.m. The results of his polygraph were inconclusive, and he has always maintained his innocence. Still, Several eyewitnesses allegedly testified before a grand jury that they saw Amy and Alistair exiting the ship's glass elevator together around 6 a.m. One of these witnesses also claims to have seen Alistair give Amy a glass containing a dark liquid, possibly coffee or soda, in the disco shortly after 6 a.m. Not long after, eyewitnesses claim they saw Alistair again, this time alone causing speculation that he drugged Amy to either sexually assault her or so she could be easily transported off the ship in a cargo container, going unnoticed by those around. Well, this is worst case scenario, perhaps. I mean, all of these scenarios suck, but her family does believe that she left the cabin to get coffee maybe that was why she left um so you know photos yeah something like that yeah there was a woman in the disco um that it's been hard to corroborate some of these because not all of the grand jury stuff is available for us to look at heather even called them today i called the clerk they're gonna send me (laughs) i think i'm gonna get the archivist to send me the document i mean 2002 wasn't that long ago but it was way before everything got scanned Mm -hmm. so and also grand jury proceedings are completely secret so we're gonna get the file and see but uh, it is hard to corroborate but if there are people that are saying we saw this at 6 a.m a one woman apparently had gotten sick before the cruise, and so she had, was on antibiotics, and she couldn't really be in the sun, but she still wanted to go on the cruise. I don't know how you manage that, but so she was <laughs> in the disco because it was dark, and she could stay out of the sun before disembarking to go to Curacao, and so she said she saw Alistair and Amy walk in, that he turned the music up. And then brought her a glass containing some kind of dark liquid. And then um, that the woman left the ship before she saw them leave because people were disembarking. A lot of people said it's noteworthy that there is a crew elevator in the disco. That uh, That's something that I came across in um, reading uh, all of the litigation and the statements from victims who have been assaulted on cruise ships is the labyrinthine underneath yeah. part of the ship that is the crew is 
as one would be. Listen, all of us worked in service. You know, most of us have. I knew where the cameras were at Magic Time Machine. You know, I knew where the cameras were at Sea Dog. And sure. if you're trying to do something that you don't want anybody to see, you know, for whatever whatever it is, where you're texting and you're not supposed to be texting or whatever, yeah. making out or whatever, you know where the cameras are mm-hmm. and you know how to hide from them. And in the repeated incidents of sexual assault that I read about on these cruise ships, they would whisk the victims to areas where they knew there were no cameras. And Mm -hmm. in one horrifying account that's on the International Cruise Victims Association website, a 16-year-old girl was given a drugged soda and when she was she was at the the teen hangout zone mm-hmm. there had been some kind of like what Iva said there were some like weird people on the ship that were kind of looking at her and she, the mom thought that's kind of weird but she was in the teen zone which the mother was told they can't leave the teen zone without being signed out by an adult so the mom's like oh okay cool i'll come and sign her back out in 2 hours 2 hours later comes back gone the employees like Oh, well, she left with some friends. I don't know. They probably went to go get a coffee next door. And the mom's like, that's not the same as only you. Yes. She was like, (laughs) I will. And again, it's like, you need to calm down. Please be quiet. No. They're making a fuss. The dad is alerted. The dad starts running around. They're like, we're looking for that weird group. It was other passengers. But she's like, there was like a weird group of early 20s teen guys that were too looking old to at be her. hanging out with the 16 year old girl yes and the dad was walking down happened to be walking down a stateroom and heard we gave her too much what do we do what are we gonna do we gave her she's Fuck. she's not coming back she's not waking up so the dad goes and gets a steward and is like you need to break into this room the fucking employee goes i really don't want to like disturb the guests or like bother I'll them bust down that fucking door the dad goes take me okay. to jail i don't care <laughs> he goes all right i will bop, 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 bop. and he said that an ashen-faced younger guy opened and was kind of like um yeah and he's like i know what you're doing in there and they're like no no we're not doing anything well then if i don't know if it was minutes or a couple hours later a crew member says oh hey we found her she happened to be in this weird cubby hole downstairs and the parents go down there and the the girl's like mom mom and they said she was super woozy out of it they took her to the infirmary and the medical doctor on board said she has been dosed with you know with a date rape drug the mom said oh can we get a sample of her blood so they can test it and he said no 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 Mm-mm, we're not going to give you that and it's like really because my kid by your negligence cruise line you let her loose from this teen zone which you said you wouldn't she was then drugged they did say there was no sign of sexual assault but the scary thing is it's like you have drugged this person yeah this child who yeah. what if she what if you drugged her just a little bit more and she she died on the ship would you yeah. say okay put her in the cargo hold and dump her out at the next port because she yeah we gave her too much and she ain't coming back or they accidentally gave her too much and they weren't able to carry through with what their original plan was because they had a different situation on their hands. But if they had given her just a little less, then the chances that she had been sexually assaulted, I think would have been pretty high. Yeah. I think they were concerned like, oh, she may be dying. She's losing conscience. And she had said that she's like, I passed out and I woke up and I was like in this stairwell. I don't even know where I'm at. So the idea that like, oh, well, it would be impossible. There would be cameras. Nowadays, perhaps, I think they've probably increased their cameras. Not in the rooms, though. No, not in the hallways, but not in the rooms. Yeah, for sure. In the hallways and stuff. But especially the underneath part of the ship, there are not only like areas where there just aren't cameras, but there are areas where employees specifically, and some of them even told Vice, like, yeah, we fuck down there all the time. They have no idea because we know exactly where the stairwells are. Or do drugs or whatever. I mean, there's cargo holds or laundry chutes there's all sorts of like 
stowaway type areas, little nooks and crannies, closets that nobody knows about. And it's employed largely by folks from developing countries who are paid like $2 an hour. They're forced to work 18-hour days down there chopping, you know, 10,000 onions for people or whatever on the ship. And so their heads are down. They're they're not going to go, I'd like to speak up and do the right thing because Royal Caribbean has fucking fired people for talking to the FBI. So you're this is the only money yeah. that you can send back to your family. You're not going to raise your hand because you see a couple of guys dragging an unconscious girl. It's fucking sad. But that is the yeah. exploitive nature of those under deck employees that like, of, I don't blame, they're not going to get involved. No, I think it's like prison rules. Like I'm yeah. not saying anything, head down, mind mm-hmm. your own business. Cause like mm-hmm. you said, this might be the only money that they have to send back to their family somewhere. Mm-hmm. So if they blow it, then that's their whole livelihood. Yeah. And yeah. it sucks because it is at the expense of someone else's life, but it's, Inevitably, the cruise line is at fault for allowing these things to happen on their watch and everyone kind of turning a blind eye like, well, that's just how things go on the cruise ship. And when you ask like, oh, how is it possible that the cruise line could fire an employee isn't that retaliation? They don't they're not subject to U.S. laws whatsoever, except with regards to like ship maintenance. But as far as employment laws, they fly flags of convenience. And so Carnival is Panama and Royal Caribbean is Liberia. And they choose countries that are purposefully lax with regard to labor regulations. Mm -hmm. Fucking snakes, man. It's fucked up. When you start digging into stuff, you're like, oh, god damn, this is... Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. And most people don't. So no, you don't that's want why to. you've got 2,000 people that are like, I'm just here to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is what anybody that's going on a cruise is looking to do. Nobody's looking to have the worst fucking thing in the, the world happen to them. That's not what you anticipate. No. So, But they know that. They know that, like... You're, we're all kind of sheeple just getting herded on to this floating city for the next week. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. I've been getting so many cruise ads because of the research for this. Mm-hmm. And I've watched like a couple of YouTube videos where it's like, hey, guys, I'm on the Royal Caribbean. I'm going to give like the Rhapsody of the Seas. I watched, like I said, a, a tour of it. And I was like, damn, that looks fun, though. Like, look, yeah, like, they are fun. I've been fun. on several. I yes. mean, they can be fun. But, but you, it's that. Oh, damn. Yeah. It, it this knowing what I know now, I'm good. I can. Yeah. I think I can find uh, those amenities on on shore at a yeah. resort somewhere. That sure. I mean, and why a lot of people go is it is a convenient way to see a lot of places mm-hmm. in you know in one week that otherwise you'd have to fly and you know get hotels at many different places. So it's it's nice in that regard. It's just not regulated to where it's safe. No, not at this point. Sinisterhood will be right back. If Amy did meet a sinister fate, the question still begs, what was the motive? A frontrunner for the reason is that Amy was abducted and became a victim of human trafficking. Eyewitness accounts and a photo from an escort site that was sent to the Bradleys seemingly corroborate this theory. However, due to the sightings not being reported at the time they occurred, none of the eyewitness accounts have led anywhere. Additionally, experts have noted that Amy is not the typical target for trafficking. She was on this cruise with her family, and it would be quickly noticed and reported that she was missing. 
That's a good, I mean, the one thing that all cruise employees or, you know, whoever you think might have done this is the one thing they all know is that if a crime happens against an American, worst case scenario, the FBI is going to board this ship. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario, nobody notices and like, mm, maybe I'll get away with it, which does happen. Or even if I do get caught, maybe they won't call the FBI. They'll just forget about it. But th- that does make trafficking less likely just given that she was not alone and was uh, American. Therefore, that kind of is subject to a more rigorous investigation. Yeah. Not alone, not just not alone, but with a family that yeah. was very tight knit. So, yes. you know, I mean, within... 30 minutes of not knowing where she was, you know, the dad's up and looking for her, like that Mm -hmm. kind of relationship. It was so uncommon for her. So, yeah, I mean, typically victims of targeting are marginalized, vulnerable children or women that are in some kind of distress already that, you know, the uh, perpetrator is looking to help them, groom them, kind of lure them in. I think it would be difficult for someone like Amy to be trafficked in that area just because she is American. She looks so much different than everyone on the island and would would stand stand out. And it was such a high-profile case. No, it's true. I mean, it's not to say it does not happen. There was a famous oh, sure, case a couple sure. years ago that a woman was out for a walk in Venezuela and just snatched off the street. And she's like, I woke up in a private plane. I ended up in the Bahamas in a nice condo on Bimini Island behind the Hilton that she said the, the she said she remembered it said like Villa 662. And she's like, I told myself, don't forget that number. And they took her in and she said from the window outside, it looked like a nice Airbnb, you know, like super well decorated. But she goes around the corner, down the hallway, there were women in every room. Oh. And it was a, a trafficking operation. And basically, she was thrown in a room, forced to be with men all day long, you know, taped up her mouth sometimes but when they figured out like she was, you know, kind of giving not giving up, but like was more compliant. They took the tape off, took the things off her hands. And just so happened during I think she was coming to the bathroom and one of the other victims was leaving the bathroom. She stopped the other victim and said, like, where are we? And the other victim said, I shouldn't tell you this, but we're in the Bahamas. We're on Bimini Island. We're behind the Hilton. And the other victim said, here's my cell phone. I don't don't know what to do with it. They're going to catch me. I don't know what to do with it. So the woman took the cell phone and got on Twitter. And she started tweeting to her family and said, I am in the, the Bahamas. Somebody help me. I'm in Villa 662 on Bimini Island behind the Hilton. And she goes live on Vine later on when she got in the bathroom. And the video is harrowing. Of course, it's all in Spanish. But she's just saying, like, somebody help me, please. Oh I am in God. it's Villa 662 behind the Hilton. I was taken from the street. Please come and get me. And th- eventually, somebody called in. A couple hours later, you know, the authorities in the Bahamas came in and got her and everybody else out. But that idea that you're just, you know, walking down the street one day and then, you know, next day, you know, you're in a good, you know, nice looking condo behind a Hilton. It's also eerie to think, yeah, I'm going to go for a walk around my hotel. Well, these condos look nice. You do not know what's, you know, going on behind those doors. No. And I think probably a lot of the customers are coming from those Hiltons. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's just in, in, uh, unless you have a robustly regulated sex work industry, it is exploitive, painful, Mm -hmm. dangerous. And that's, that's why you need the female autonomy in that we're like, I want to be doing this. And I am, you know, like mm-hmm. I said, there's somebody looking out for me, somebody I can call if this goes wrong. I make my own rules. Yeah. And, you know, I get to say, like, what goes. And if yes. I'm uncomfortable, I can say no to that. 
Truly. All that to say, that is a very rare instance. The I think it was the 2022 Advanced Criminal Law CLE thing I sat through. There was a human trafficking section on it, and it is primarily, I think, the age is like 12 to 14, the average yeah. age. And Unfortunately, then, the I read that the um, the average age for trafficking victims when they first get involved is 12, which yes. is nauseating. No, it's horrifying. And it is oftentimes that kids, teens who are, uh, you know, they're in marginalized communities, they're in a situation where one or both parents isn't around. And so mm-hmm. they're susceptible to go and like live with this. But with regards to the the website uh, very frequently utilizing, you know, back page, you know, the internet to perpetuate these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And in that instance, that, that you know, uh, God bless the law enforcement who go in and help trafficking victims. Cause that was the woman that gave the CLE was gave a very specific case. Of course, she omitted the, the young girl's name, but, you know, spoke about this case and it is heavily entrenched and extremely, mm-hmm. Uh, difficult to extra, even extricate him out of that because oftentimes yeah. the, the the girl said she was fifteen. She's like, oh, he loves me. Yeah. Like my mom. No, they're groomed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, my mom. And you become dependent. Did that. Yes. That she said. Well, my mom had a guy who loved her, and it was like mm. that was her. Uh, you know, guy that was running the yeah. show, and she said he loves me too. And it's like, no, girl, he does not. And it's just hard to get him out of it. But well, and so, so, so often yeah. too, they get them hooked on drugs, and mm-hmm. so yeah, then they're dependent on that and. So they stay with them because, you know, they're kind of forced to at that point. Yeah. And it was a family friend, which is that's what the presenter said it oftentimes is. It's someone that kind of tangentially knows or is in the community in the sphere of the kid already. So the snatched off a cruise ship, snatched off the street, harrowing and horrifying, not truly the norm. Oftentimes it is more like a young person or a person who Mm -hmm. is on uh, has some substance use issues that can just be manipulated and kept in that horrible situation. Another heartbreaking theory is that Amy disembarked the ship, either of her own free will or by force, only to meet her end on the island of Curacao. And if not murdered on the island, there has also been speculation that she may have been killed on board the cruise ship, her body hidden away during the search and discarded of at a later time, perhaps once the ship reached open water again. Those who subscribe to these theories believe Alistair Douglas and possibly other crew members were responsible for her murder and cover-up. And he maintains his innocence. The, was he's never found charged. God now. He's he's yes. like a preacher and his, he's gone, um, you know, like overboard with the uh, religion. Yeah, and the, uh, you know, the FBI could have charged him or further investigated and did not, mm-hmm. so... There's that, but it the I think the number one piece of evidence that gets people pointing back at this is the eyewitnesses who said, "Oh, we saw her at five forty-five with the mm-hmm. bass player." Like very specifically, that girl in the picture, I saw her uh, thirty minutes ago. You know, it's not like well, it's an eyewitness from two years ago, and maybe mm-hmm. it was in passing. It's like this person was on the ship in an area where Amy was known to have been with a person that would have been fairly recognizable. You know, and if that's what they say they saw, this. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what points most people to that theory. Yeah. And she had a very short haircut. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she would have stood out, I think, as, you know, not looking like all the other passengers. Somebody mm-hmm. you memorable. If you saw yes. her, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's because, you know, I mean, her hair and just her joyful nature and her age and everything kind of made her stand up. 
Well, and, it's, and her green eyes, too, is what mm-hmm. the taxi driver remembered. And in the pictures, her parents are right. There, are, There's like a, a podcaster that Paris watches his things on YouTube. And I'm always like, God, his eyes are so blue. And I know, oh, you yeah. know, it's one of those where I'm like, I know if I, it's Colin Coward for those of you who are wondering. But I was like, it's one of those, I know if I saw him in person, I'd be like, God damn, your eyes yeah. are blue. And it's, it's like, kind of uh, like what's his name from Great British Baking Show? Paul? I can't remember oh, his he last name. Hollywood? Paul Hollywood. That's it. I was like, it's something ridiculous. Like I you- only know that because I bought you a Great British Bake Off sticker for your birthday once, and oh, I knew nothing right. about the show, so I had to like search stuff about it to make sure that it was a good sticker to get. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, his eyes are like piercing blue. So yeah. things like that do stand out to people, and they remember that for sure. Nearly 26 years have passed since Amy went missing in the early morning hours aboard the Rhapsody of the Seas. Countless tips, many credible, have come in since that time. Yet the Bradleys and the FBI are no closer to finding Amy now than they were then. Still, Amy's family refuses to give up hope that they may one day see their beloved daughter and sister again. Her brother Brad shared with Disappeared the emotional toll losing his sister has had on him. This is torturous to think about a million things and just not know. But as time has gone on, I've learned that not knowing is the only thing that allows us any hope. I was blessed to have Amy for as long as I did. When Iva spoke with interviewers during the 2018 episode of Disappeared featuring Amy's case, she tearfully told them how their dedication to finding Amy has not wavered. Even though it's been this many years, and it's hard for me to say that we're coming up on 20 years, we believe Amy's out there. We followed some crazy stuff, but if you don't, it might be that one time, you know, that it could be her. That really stuck with me because she's right. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, if I was in her shoes, I would also pay whoever that I thought could help me and go wherever. And sometimes I might get scammed, but like she said, it's that one time that I couldn't live with myself if there was a lead I didn't follow up. And that ended up being the one time that it led to her. Right. And I think you probably spiritually kind of think, I'm never going to give up hope because I want her to believe and stay alive and not just, Mm -hmm. you know, give up and go, God, I've been in this horrible trafficking ring for 20 years and I'm miserable and whatever. I'll just jump off of something to think my family would never give up. They're still looking for me. And to see in the news, the baby Bradley's family is still looking for her. You know, she happens to see that it might be the only thing keeping her going. Yeah. Uh, So you you can't ever blame a family for how they deal with their grief. And I think they've shown extreme dedication. But like Brad said, it's like that hope and that keeping trying it the unknowing is what keeps the hope going and that's really interesting because usually you see the opposite that the family is in missing cases like well at least we know now and it gives us some closure but i kind of and i hope i never find myself in this situation but i feel like i would kind of side with brad where mm-hmm. i you know if you know if they find a body then yes. that's it You know, I mean, you do have closure and maybe there's, you know, that can help in some ways. But if you never find her, there still is that hope that you could. And I think that is what would keep me going. 
Yeah, and it sounds like it's they're just as motivated. I mean, Cruise Ship Killers came out just a couple of years ago, and they do interviews on that. And so the family is still actively participating in these interviews. The Beth Holloway one was a few years back, but mm-hmm. they're still out there. The FBI is still looking for tips, too. Yeah, yeah. The disappearance of Amy Bradley is still an open and ongoing case. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000 for any information that could potentially lead to the recovery of Amy Lynn Bradley. The Bradley family is offering a $250,000 reward for information leading to Amy's safe return and a $50,000 reward for information leading to her current location. If you have any information that would be helpful to the case, please contact the FBI at 202-278-2000. You can also contact your local FBI field office or American embassy or consulate. Links with contact information are available in the episode description and show notes. So what do we think? It's, uh, you know, all the scenarios, everybody always immediately goes, you know, she fell off. She fell out. That's most likely. And the horrifying thing is that it would have been extremely easy for her to have fallen off in 1998 and have not, no one have noticed. Mm -hmm. And what we kind of tell ourselves is like, oh, but, you know, in 2010, Congress passed this law, so we'll be okay. But like we said earlier, really all they have is kind of thermal cameras or CCTV footage that's not even monitored 24-7. And falling overboard incidents, while they're rare, they are the n- number one way to die on the leading cause of death for cruise ship passengers. So, I mean, it, like you said, it is just Occam's razor. It's like 23% of deaths are uh, falling overboard. That also to say murder, suicide, and terror attack are 19% of But I don't know that murder, suicide, and terror attack, I would not have grouped those together as a researcher because I think those are kind of three different things. But I agree. You know, falling overboard being the the leading cause of death, that is what I think a lot of people point to. However, 1998, at the time of this incident, the New York Times reported that FBI agents in Miami, which is the busiest cruise port and where – these calls go to in the Caribbean when there's, you know, incidents on ships. They said they were called out to investigate shipboard sexual assaults every other week. That's how frequent this was happening. And it was the large majority was crew on passenger crime because of the things we talked about in the last episode of not, you know, there was much, much lower standards. There were these quotas to meet from these staffing agencies. So you get people on board. The cruise ships after the fact were whisking people away. And especially that same year in 1998, at that time, Royal Caribbean had a pattern or at least an an incident of lying to, you know, telling its employee, you got to lie to this grand jury. Of course, it was about an environmental thing. But to me, it's like that's reflective, at least at the time of what the company was doing. The 2010 law that was passed, I mean, they didn't have peepholes on doors back then. And that's how several people were sexually assaulted and raped on cruise ships is because they had no peepholes. So you don't, mm-hmm. the door, you think it's your friend and then you crack the yeah. door and it is a, whether it was a janitor who was kind of sort of pretending to be a security guard or just straight up a, a waiter from earlier or whatever, force their way in and attack you, you wouldn't have known that. So they do have peepholes now. They didn't provide rape kits for a while. They would tell the passengers, you've got to pay for that. We need you to fund your own rape kit. Or say, would you just gather the stuff, you know, the evidence, or would come in and sit on the beds and mess it up? So 
in the late 90s, the cruise ships had a big problem. Late 90s up until 2010 when this law was passed. And it was only by really loud victims, advocates, by survivors, surviving family members, and those experts, there was like a Ross Klein as a professor, I think at the University of Newfoundland that he's like a sociology professor, but he's like an expert in crime on cruise ships. And it's only with these like really loud cohorts of people going, you got to do something. And just because this law got passed, it hasn't even been implemented. You know, there's a Business Insider mm-hmm. article like three months ago that was like, mm-hmm. cruise ships are supposed to implement this technology. And it was so vaguely worded that the Coast Guard was supposed to undertake rulemaking procedures, and then it didn't. And so now it's just kind of sitting out there. So then the cruise ship companies get asked, and they're like, the Coast Guard said we didn't have to. And the Coast Guard gets asked, and they're like, well, we haven't really gotten around to making the rule. It's like, it's been like 15 years. What do you mean you haven't made the rule yet? And so I think we need to see where... The cruise ships are actually following this four, now 14 almost year law, 14 year old law, and not accepting, oh, but it would be really expensive for us to implement that as an excuse. Because I feel like that's kind of the argument. They're like, well, you know, it's these measures are really expensive, man overboard. So even if she did do what did fall overboard, man overboard technology, it's, it's so expensive. But Ross Klein was like, they can literally give away a cabin for free and still make a profit because right. onboard purchases, drinks, casino gambling, spa treatments, all that stuff. He's like, they don't really need to charge you for the room. So because they have such a high profit margin, and that's also seen in the way that they have fairly exploited labor from uh, developing countries and places where they, you know, only pay people a dollar a day or whatever. I think the wine of like, oh, what well, would be really expensive to implement that? And really, you know, not that many people a year fall overboard. Fuck you. If it's your family member, I don't care if it's one person when it is, you know, to go like, well, really only like 20 people fell overboard. Is that really worth it to like spend all this money on that? I would argue. Yeah. I, just, I, I would think argue it is. that if you, it, any, uh, operation where there's a high risk of something like Mm -hmm. an airplane, any industry where there's a high risk of something happening, even if it's not necessarily a high, a high probability is going to happen, but worst case scenario, this could happen. And it Mm -hmm. has happened. You have to take measures to at least try and prevent it from happening. Not just accepting it as kind of like, well, this is part of what, you're signing up for if you come on board one of these things. And you and you have to know if you are, because I've seen, like I said, in the cruise uh, forums and stuff that people are like so into it and love it. Like, I've done 194 cruises. Oh, like, yeah. I love it. That's fine. You just need to know they don't give a fuck about you. They'll tell you that they do. They'll sell you that they do. When the rubber meets the road, they do the bare minimum required. They, they're because of the flags of convenience in Panama and Liberia, they pay like a point like a 0.8% tax rate. They pay like no taxes. Like I said, they pay dock fees and stuff, but specifically being in those countries. So when someone falls overboard or when someone's attacked on board, we pay for it. Like the American people pay for it. Like my tax dollars that I get irritated every time I have to write them a check, but we pay for it. The the U.S. Coast Guard conducts the search for ban overboard people. The FBI is doing the investigation for crime. So one of the attorneys talked to Insider and was like, there's no financial consequence for them when somebody goes overboard. So they really have no incentive to install these systems unless we tell our lawmakers, like, we somebody's got to do something. Like, the doors are flying off the airplanes. People are <laughs> loose from the cruise ships. 
Where so I know I probably sound like a crazy like she she thinks everything needs to be regulated. Yeah, I do actually cuz I don't want anyone to get injured and because I know firsthand having worked in the securities industry publicly traded companies are under a duty to do the absolute maximum they can for profit. And that does not mean the maximum they can for safety if it cuts into profit. The only time that they will do that is if you cut into their profit. And why this thing got passed in 2010 is because Kendall Carver, who has now passed away, but he had lost his daughter on an Alaska cruise. She was gone. She fell overboard. For five days, nobody, they didn't notice. Nobody said anything. Her stateroom was empty. They the donated family all didn't the, notice? There was, she was on the cruise by herself. Oh, that's right. She was by herself. She was on, by herself. The cruise, yeah. the, one of the cruise guys goes, that's kind of weird. That lady hadn't been back to her room. They go, just don't worry about it. And when the cruise docked, they took all of her shit, put some of it in storage, donated some of it. And he got together with these other people and made a lot of noise. And a woman that was raped, who was basically told, ah, it's kind of a he said, she said, we're really not taking any responsibility because the room got lysoled after she was raped. Mm. The, you know, a, the thing that happened to the young girl, it was not until, Victims came together and said, we're fucking done with this. Like, this is enough. Somebody do something. And having lawmakers go, and they love, you know, the senators were up there. To be fair, it's also like, there's self-interest. They probably have a little bit of belief in what's right, but they'll be like, my constituent was this and this happened to them. So until I think we see the implementation and the enforcement of the law that was already passed 14 years ago that it is like reported on in the media that the cruise ships have been like nobody said we had to do anything so we don't have that technology we just have cameras that no one's watching until we go like hey we'd like actually i think we'd like uh, a little bit more regulation there they're not going to do anything and so So what do you think are you saying then you think she fell overboard it's it could be because it was so unregulated it could either be that she fell overboard I am very persuaded, though, by those young women that stopped them at that initial search and said, hey, we just saw her in that window of time that Ron was asleep. We just saw her with the bass player walking into this club, you know, walking into the disco, in which case did she drink something? She got sick. She was hidden away. I don't, you know, was she drugged for a nefarious purpose? It killed her. And then you kind of go, we got to get rid of this body. And then she fell overboard in a different way. I don't know. You know, didn't fall overboard, was thrown overboard. So what is your theory then of what happened? I I don't, I don't think she just, I think she left the cabin. I think she left the cabin and something bad happened to her in between. I, I doubt that she was trafficked. I don't know that the people on land were as credible to me. Well, yeah. I just mean like as like credible, you know, yeah. being like, yeah. ah, I really remember her. You know, the taxi driver, Royal Caribbean seemed to think the taxi driver was credible, but that was also benefited them in their lawsuit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Judy Maurer, she saw what she saw. The picture of Jazz is very convincing. And I'm, it's kind of like what they said, the, what the family said, you know, even if it's the craziest, least likely scenario, it doesn't mean it, you know, it's like saying, if you fall off a cruise ship, you will die immediately. That's not true. <laughs> Some people fall off and they live. Mm-hmm. So there are black swan events like that. So there's there could be an event here where she got drugged and she was whisked off. And I, I would say, though, the life expectancy of a person who is subjected to repeated sexual abuse, probably substances, things like that is, I would say, would probably not be 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um 
I do think that there is a chance she fell overboard. And I know it's not the popular online theory, but I think a lot of these cases, people don't like the Occam's razor answer because it's not the interesting one. Yeah. I, I also think it's possible that um, she was drugged and assaulted on the ship and killed on the ship and later disposed of. I, I don't think that, I personally don't think that she was trafficked. I think um, the eyewitness accounts seem um, just not very credible. I think it's easy for people year, months or years later to be like, oh, well, yeah, I kind of remember that. But it's just memories are so fuzzy and it's hard to put a lot of stock in that. I know you want to because you want to believe she's alive. But I think the more realistic explanation would be that she either fell overboard or met her fate on that ship and then um, was either taken off the ship in, uh, you know, a cargo container or something and disposed of or later dumped overboard once they reached the open ocean. I uh, I think that Alistair guy is shady. I think that it's, we- yeah, the eyewitness accounts of seeing him, especially give her a drink and stuff, and knowing that he had been kind of in- interested, dancing close to her and stuff like that, I think that's, that's a possibility. But I also, um, I think there's a lot of reasons why, that point to why she could have also fallen overboard. One of the main sticking points for me is that her sandals and all of her shoes were still in the cabin. And it seems like if you were going to leave the cabin and you know, you're going somewhere, you'd put on a pair of shoes. If you maybe walked back in the room from the balcony to grab your cigarettes and change into your night clothes. Cause they said that, you know, her clothes had been changed and walk back out there for the reason of how she fell overboard, I, I certainly don't think it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, either drunk and tired and, you know, just it's a, not a common occurrence, but it's definitely one that can happen. And I, uh, I think it definitely could have. My other theory would be that she was killed on the ship. Yeah, I mean, if you lean over to take a picture, you know, even if you go, well, she's afraid of it, but go, man, it's sunrise. Maybe I can just lean over and just get a picture and you hit a wave and it or just you're so sick. happens. To, yeah, yeah or you're you, throwing yeah. up over the side or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. A lot of people say like, well, if, you know, if you sit on those railings, I don't know who's sitting on the railings. I would have never <laughs> dared sit on a railing God. at a on a cruise ship on a balcony or up top. But, uh, you know. I think it's possible. I I agree that um, in the unlikely event that she was trafficked, I don't think she would still be alive. No, and that's, I, and, that's and a hard thing. The thing, too, with the eyewitness accounts on, like, Mondo Beach and people saying, well, I saw her by herself. I just can't imagine you would have seen her by herself if she had was able to be by herself. I think she would have done whatever she could to get out of there. Yes. Escaped somehow, you know? So, uh, that doesn't really sit right with me. And I don't know. I just, in these situations, I tend to think the most likely explanation is probably what happened, whatever happened. Um, 
it's tragic. It's awful. And I hope that the laws that you were just talking about do get passed and mm-hmm. implemented to where if people do fall overboard, there is something that maybe can be done quicker. And also the accountability and vetting of the employees on that ship and being it taking more seriously when things like sexual assault and rape and everything happen, that it's not just brushed under the rug because these crews ships have so much money that you know people are people they're not just a a cabin or dollars on your ship that your your rights and your protection and safety don't end as soon as you board that ship no and that's true and while like the vast majority of people that go on cruises are not victims of crime or anything like that when you are, there absolutely should be repercussions, things that the mm-hmm. cruise lines do. And the in congressional testimony, the Cruise Line Association said, we don't have any responsibility to investigate anything back then, at least. And I don't know that they've really like gotten gung ho on it um, because they again, they, they say, oh, it's so expensive, you know, our shareholders. So you're right. I think the two most likely scenarios are falling overboard. And then given the time period this was in 1998, it was rampant. A a sexual assault on the cruise ships was, I mean, Mm -hmm. like I said, it was higher than the state of New Jersey, the higher than the state of California, the per capita amount of sexual assaults on board. So either of those, but like you said, I sadly for her family, I'm glad that they still have the unknown and that hope that they can hang on to, but it, it, is more likely that she was killed while still, you know, the in those early days, you know, whether mm-hmm. it was from falling overboard or from, you know, what being drugged or crying out and doesn't want to get caught and all that kind of stuff. So it's to be clear, again, the base player, nobody from Royal Caribbean or anything was charged mm-hmm. with the crime. But uh, you I know, did I, read he was fired shortly after for fraternizing with the passenger. Which, Which may have been their footage. way of being like, we need you off this ship because you're too much of a liability because you're tied to this case. And uh, the plaintiff's attorneys who represented uh, several victims of cruise ships, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, said it was the absolute policy of Royal Caribbean to either fire or put the perpetrators on medical leave and ship them back to their home countries far away from FBI jurisdiction. And mm. to me, the the number one thing that kind of speaks against the falling overboard theory is like the FBI and the Department of Justice, They the Department of Justice only pursues like 10% of cases of the cruise ship crimes that have been reported. So the FBI is also told so many victims, there's really not enough evidence for us to go on. Sorry. So the fact that there were still FBI agents in 2018 doing interviews, they still have mm-hmm. an active website. They're still putting out sketches. The FBI, I, I, you know, everybody on the internet's like, she obviously fell overboard, you idiots. And it's like, I'm glad you're smarter than an FBI agent. It's like, you can say it is a likely scenario, but if it absolutely definitively is that, then why would the very limited resources of the federal government still, I would say, waste their time, but still spend their time on something if it is such an easy open and shut case. And just the I will wild say west. Most of in. what I've seen online, there are a lot of people saying she fell overboard, but there's an equal amount of saying she was trafficked. Yeah. But to those comments, people respond with, people love to to say 
throw that word around. Like, oh, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah. And a person and, approached me in the Target parking lot. I yes. was being trafficked. It's like, and like they're probably going to steal When you back. really look into um, the victims that are normally targeted, where, how, for what reasons, Amy doesn't really fall into that category. I also no. read that there were theories that she had been abducted and then used as a breeder, which would just be someone to have children and then those children are trafficked. sold. Yeah. Or trafficked that themselves. Was the thing in the fathoms, the depths of darkness to which humans will treat one another. Yes. It unfortunately still shocks me, I guess, fortunately, but you're right. I think an educated American who is capable, you know, like resourceful can, you know, versus mm-hmm. a vulnerable teen or kid. It, she is not the most likely candidate for trafficking and especially, like you said, being out on beaches by herself, the victims of trafficking that I have, you know, read their stories and testimonies and, you know, heard that CLE is like they are kept in a room. You know, they're kept mm. somewhere where they can't get away. They can't they don't, can't scream or say like, hey, help me. What up? You know, none mm-hmm. of that. So like I you also said, don't well, think she would have been kept on Curacao because no. that seems it's such a small island and obviously her family is going to come back. And I think it would have been too risky, especially yeah. with her being a white woman with green eyes and short hair. I just and think it would have been really hard. Specific. Yeah, it's hard to move her around, you know. I mean, is it possible? Of Sure, anything is possible. But personally, I don't think it's the most likely scenario. And honestly... For her sake, I hope it wasn't because of all the fates she could have met. To me, that is the most heinous to to be kept alive, but repeatedly abused and drugged and traumatized. That's no life. So I, whatever happened, I hope it was uh, swift and painless and that she is at peace wherever she is. And I hope that her family is able to um, find, I'm sure they have over 26 years, find a new way of dealing and going on and having peace within themselves. But it's never something that can't get over. No, I mean, watching Iva in those interviews just from 2018, I mean, she is, the grief is as if it had just happened. You know, I mean, in in the way she talks about when she found things up, she's like, I just, I remember hearing and immediately throwing up. And I'm like, that's real. That's like what really happens when these waves of grief that you don't expect, you know, come up on you and their, their vulnerability and their emotion and grief is so real and raw. And my heart just breaks for this family that something that was supposed to be, this once in a lifetime, as Iva called it, opportunity for all of them to go out on this, you know, the, it was paid for by Ron's work. work and stuff. And for it to end so tragically is, it's uh, unfathomable. And I hope that their dedication to continuing to keep Amy's name out there in the news and her story, if it doesn't bring her back home, at least it changes how things are currently done laws and bills to where things are safer and um, there's more accountability for Mm -hmm. people in these situations. And like you said, and we we don't say, oh, well, it's just a cabin. It's just a dollar sign on the person's head and saying your tasks 
Royal Caribbean, Carnival, Norwegian, Disney, whatever, you are tasked with souls. Like the, I yeah. like in maritime language when they're like, we have X souls aboard. That is souls. Mm. That is human people. And so to say like, ah, it's kind of expensive to put that stuff on the ship. I don't know. We'll figure it out when they fall out. You know like, what's no. also expensive? A fucking four-story slide yes. that, and a zip line and, and a, uh, 18 hot tubs and yeah. a million a restaurants. Yeah. yeah, the shit they have, the whole thing is expensive. They're yeah. wild, these cruise ships so it's not gonna break your bank to put in the extra money for that and i honestly think it's a cop-out i don't think it's the money i think they just don't want the uh to have to be responsible for that the more you you know the more things you do the more responsible you become of like and then you open yourself up to more lawsuits because like oh well so i think that they are using that as an excuse to just kind of keep their hands clean well and it's much like deleter from the footage it's like we don't want to talk about the crimes on a cruise ship and all that to say if you like to cruise go cruise do it with your eyes wide open you have to be just as aware as you are on land and knowing that from 2010 to 2013 like the first few years that this was implemented the congressional staffers got information from the FBI and the cruise lines were required to report crimes when they compared what the cruise ships reported with what victims reported there was a 30 times higher rate of actual Mm -hmm. crime than what was reported what they said by statute they were required to so finding these incidents where the the cruise ships don't want to talk about it they don't want to report it the department of transportation website where this information should be public for you to go view has not been updated since 2022 and when reached you know asked for comment they kind of went we don't really know what's going on the department of transportation is like not sure and so just understand go go to it with your eyes wide open and if you are super fan of cruises then you should be concerned or at least you should say hey why don't you guys comply with a law that you're already supposed to and you know reach out to your senator congressman whatever because they're running those the wild west of the seas it is yeah floating cities for real well if anyone has any information that they think is helpful go to our episode description and show notes Again, the FBI's phone number is 202-278-2000. And you can also contact your local FBI field office or the American embassy or consulate with any information. You know, I mean, they're still taking tips. They're still very active. So um, if you were on that cruise, you know, go through your old pictures. Maybe you go if you had your video camera or something, you you never know. Yeah. Well, if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of content. We've got several live streams coming up this month. Tonight, if you're listening to this on two, on Wednesday, January 17th at 8 p.m. Central, tonight is our monthly live Q&A. If you're listening after, that's okay. You can watch the replay. Yeah. And you can also catch our bonus content live stream January 31st at 8 p.m. Central. And the voting is going on now for what we will do live, whether we're going to do a Judge Christie live, Hypothetical Situations live, or Heather Saves, where we react to videos, photos, posts, and stuff we found online. Uh, go on to our Patreon and vote. We also have a Dear Sinister, where folks have written in with some advice that we're giving out advice and a true crime headlines where we talk about Gypsy Rose, the pre- prison confessions of Gypsy Rose, the Gilgo Beach Four, uh, Rex Hurman, and the 
new charges he's facing, um, as well as that viral video where the judge was attacked by the defendant in the Las Vegas courtroom where he went like airborne and attacked her. Yes. Wild. <laughs> Wild <laughs> that you think that that's going to end well for you. Did I mean, not. I, I don't think you're thinking. I think you're simply no. reacting out of anger for sure. Yes, but that is our newest true crime headlines. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. You can head to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. We also have some deals over on our TikTok shop, so be sure you go to TikTok.com slash Sinisterhood podcast and check out what deals they may have, some percentages off, some free shipping, all kinds of stuff. And uh, check, uh, check back soon for some clearance tour items because uh we're about to go on tour so we got to get out with the 2023 and in with the 2024 so if you saw us last year and missed out on a shirt now may be your chance there you go while you're on our website you can also review the show follow us on socials and check out the episode description for sources used during our research You'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You get video episodes early and ad-free on Patreon or head over to our YouTube channel where we also have uh, conversations with interviews we've done as well as our Freaky Friday guests at Sinisterhood Podcast. And go to Cameo.com to order a custom video shout-out for yourself or the Sinisterhood fan in your life. Congratulations. Happy New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. Spring is coming. Whatever you want. We <laughs> want to deliver that message. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Yeah, it's true. It's a good Valentine's list. If we get some Valentine's Day, I'm going to, my heart will be warm. The cockles oh, of yes. my heart will be warm. So cameo.com <laughs> and search Sinisterhood. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on the internet at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Randy Lynn. Alexandra Algier. JT. Teresa Freshour. Sid Monge. Jessica Smith. Trisha. Tamara Turner, Kayla Sage, Mick, Jessica, Crystal Gale Jones, Kathleen, Emily Freebody, Sladonna Hogg, David Petrie, Anna. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We really couldn't do this without you. We appreciate each and every one of you so much. We hope we pronounced your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Wah. <laughs> Sin